Have you ever looked at a pug or a French bulldog and thought, how cute? Today, we're talking about the rise in the popularity of these flat-faced or brachycephalic pets as they're known, why people find them so sweet, what the dangers are, and what you can do to make sure you're not contributing to unhealthy dog breeding. I'm joined by Dr. Emma Milne, who is a vet and who has been instrumental in campaigning against these flat-faced pets. Hi, Emma. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So what is a flat-faced pet or a brachy breed exactly then? So, yeah, lots of people are getting used to the term brachycephalic now. And it basically, as you say, just means a short skull, basically. So if you think of a classic, a medium-sized mixed breed dog like you might see, you know, in places where street dogs live, they tend to be a medium size. They have long faces and no skin folds, forward-facing eyes and teeth that, that line up. So what's happened is that people have decided to breed for shorter and shorter faces. And now we have in the dog breeds, particularly the, the top three in popularity are English and French bulldogs, French bulldogs particularly, and pugs, where we've really got to a point now where we've effectively amputated their noses. People find them cute. So their popularity is, is very high. And it also comes with this you know, they have this reputation, they don't need much exercise. So therefore people think, oh, well, they might be quite a good pet if I don't want to do loads of walking. But actually, they probably do want to exercise. And um, people don't realise that they're quite poorly as a result of being bred to have those very short faces. Why are people buying them? Why do you think there has been this huge trend in recent years for thinking that these dogs are cute? It's an interesting question, actually. And there's quite a lot of research that's been done into it. And fundamentally, humans find short faces with big, wide eyes appealing. So if you look at any mammal babies, they all tend to be short born with slightly shorter faces. So even something like a German shepherd that has a, a long nose, when they're born, they have a shorter nose to allow for suckling. And also these dogs have the very flat faces and the massive eyes. They tend to resemble we, we think human babies so that it, it kind of brings out this nurturing side of people. I think part of the problem as well is celebrity culture. So as soon now we live in, a, in an atmosphere where social media drives so much stuff, you get celebrities like Lady Gaga, who, who is seen on social media with her French bulldog or, you know, there's any number of others. I'm not singling her out, but then people don't ask the question. They just see someone popular or there was a film last year or the year before called Patrick the Pug. You know, so as soon as there's a Disney film or something that, that has a certain breed in it, it just absolutely fuels the popularity and people don't ask the questions about what those health issues, if the dog might have any health issues. They, you know, we live in a culture where people can get what they want and they just go and buy one. And it's one of the things that vets contact me about is that there are a lot of vets worldwide who are absolutely mentally crushed by the fact that they're spending all day every day fixing problems that are breed related. That's absolutely fascinating about them resembling human babies and something I'd never even thought of. That's a really, really fascinating point. Do you think most pet owners are even aware that these flat-faced breeds face so many health problems? Or do you think there is a real issue with, with people even knowing that they come with these health risks? 
I think there are lots of vets, lots of organisations who've spent years trying to get this message across. I've been campaigning on it for over 20 years. You know, the BVA, the British Veterinary Association, have a whole campaign called Breed to Breathe, which is aimed at giving practices resources that they can give to clients. I think one of the biggest problems is that they're really popular on adverts and marketing, which is another thing that people are trying to reduce if we can. And I think one of the problems is that comes up in some of the studies is that the message is getting across. So some people are reluctant to buy them. But equally, we know that even people who've had very severe health problems with, for example, a French bulldog are very likely to go and buy another one. And I think there's a real human psychology thing that some pet owners actually really love having an animal that they have to give specific care to. Whereas when I had my two crossbreed mongrels, you know, I've barely got time for the kids, let alone having to do a whole health regime every day for a dog that is has been born with all these issues. So I think it's a really, really complex thing to tackle. That's really, really interesting. I mean, I know when I go to the dog park and there are, you know, pugs and French bulldogs and English bulldogs running around and they are really struggling to breathe and they make these horrible sounds when they're breathing in and out and no one seems to bat an eyelid. Do you think that we've just also become kind of desensitized? These dogs make that noise and that's just what happens. Yeah, Absolutely. So we're really trying to make an effort to to stop using the word normal for a certain breed. So over the years, you know, it's not just the brachycephalics. We've we've bred a lot of extreme body shapes like Dachshunds who have very long backs and very short legs who get vertebral disc disease, things like Sharpays that have got, you know, these huge skin fold problems and they can't see because their eyes are all folded in. Basset hounds, you know, you can go on and on. Even the, the difference between giant breeds like Great Danes that tend to die around the age of four to six. And people say, well, yeah, you know, that's normal for a Great Dane to die of heart failure. Well, should we be accepting any of those normals? No, we shouldn't, because it might be usual for a French bulldog to make a respiratory sound when it runs, but it's not normal for a dog. So we we have to get away from that. But quite a few of the other studies that have been done have shown that around 60%, so almost two-thirds of owners of brachycephalic dogs, totally normalize the fact that they don't play, that they can't sleep. A lot of these dogs have got the equivalent of sleep apnea. So they're chronically exhausted because they're, they're respiratory. They're so compromised that when they lay down, they can't breathe. So their sleep is constantly interrupted. And one thing that we want people to stop doing is you'll see on social media, lots of people share videos of these dogs falling asleep, sitting up or with their mouth wedged open on a chair, or they learn to fall asleep with a hollow toy in their mouth. And these videos are shared as hilarious things. Oh, look, he's so cute. He fell asleep sitting up. So it's not. He's got respiratory distress and he can't breathe laying down. So dogs can't breathe through their mouth when they lay down. They have to breathe through their nose. And these dogs don't have noses and they have huge tongues 
and they have compromised trachea's. They have trachea's windpipes that are tiny compared to dogs of their equivalent weight. So, you know, it's not just one thing. They're very, very, very compromised from a health and welfare point of view. We definitely want pet owners, you know, listening to be able to make better decisions for the health of their pet. So what would you say, Emma, to an owner who is thinking of getting one of these brachycephalic breeds? One of the things that we we need to get across as a profession is, you know, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of these dogs and cats and rabbits. Rabbits are massively affected by brachycephaly as well. All the cute little lop ears with the flat faces, they have horrific dental problems. So we need to remember it's not just the dogs. It's not just the breathing. They've got other problems as well. So we're not saying this, that we're not going to treat and help the animals that already exist. What we want people to do is change their buying decisions going forward because the only way the supply of these pets is going to go down is if the demand goes down. There are all sorts of unscrupulous breeders cashing in on the popularity, particularly of French bulldogs. People aren't, they're not doing enough research. And fundamentally, if someone said to me, I want to buy one of the, say we're talking about dogs mostly, one of those three breeds, I would say just don't. And I know there are thousands of vets around the world who feel the same as me. Don't buy one. Because you might get one that's been that the parents have been health tested from a respiratory point of view but we still know they have skin folds and they have dental problems and they have gut issues because they can't breathe properly they have spinal disorders because they've been bred to have a corkscrew tail lots of them can't give birth on their own they get heat exhaustion you know there's a huge list of diseases what is more important to bear in mind then uh, when looking for a new pet rather than just the way that it looks? So you should be prioritizing health, then temperament, and then looks in that order. And at the moment, it's exactly the opposite of that. At the end of the day, we want family pets who are adapted, well-socialized, healthy, habituated to you know all the things we're going to throw at them as a family animal. So we must change people's priorities when they're looking for what they want in a pet. So make sure you find it. If you want a particular breed, that's fine. Just ask your vet rather than just the breeder what health problems there are. There are some really good websites like the U4 website, Dog Breed Health. I'm a trustee of a charity called the Dog Breed Reform Group, which has loads of information on their website. So there's lots of resources and... Um, I, I think pre-purchase research is the way forward. There was a study done that said that that found that um, people spend less time researching what dog they're going to buy than what pair of shoes they're going to buy. You know, and these are things that are going to be in your life for potentially ten to sixteen years. And because of the health issues, you know, the the veterinary costs and so on, and even the insurance costs are absolutely massive. It's just, you know, it's it's heartbreaking for vets to end up having to, you know, you see a dog at six months and you know that it's just going to have this miserable life. And we don't want to see that. So say I'm, a, a, I'm looking for a new dog and I do have my heart set on a pedigree dog. We'll stay away from the um, bracky breeds for a second, but I have my heart set on a pedigree dog how can I make sure as a pet owner that I am 
being as ethical as possible in my in my purchasing decision there what do I have to look out for what should I check what should I search before I go out and purchase this animal so one thing that is a brilliant tool that I wish every single person going to buy a dog had is something called the AWF puppy contract and puppy information pack so the AWF is the animal welfare foundation and many years ago now I was a trustee at the time AWF alongside RSPCA came up with a puppy contract that really empowered puppy buyers rather than just the breeders. It's free to download. And basically what it does is it has a puppy information pack that the breeder fills in, but it also has some guidance notes that helps prospective owners think of all the right questions to ask. It talks about socialization, habituation and and all those things, but it's really geared towards health. And if you have a breeder who doesn't want to sign that, I would not touch that puppy with a barge pole. Because even if they say they're an assured breeder with the Kennel Club and they have their own assured breeders contract, make sure that they sign the other one too and that they fill in that puppy information pack for you. Because if they don't, they are not ticking the boxes for health. And if everyone used that, it would be a great step towards people finding the healthiest, happiest puppies that they that they could. I'd say with particular breeds, avoid the extremes. So don't go for anything that's giant or tiny. Don't go for things that have got loads of skin folds. Don't go for things that have got very extreme features compared to something else like the long backs and short legs. Just try and pick something moderate. You know, you might want a small dog because you live in a, you have a small garden. That's fine. Just find us a, a smallish breed that's proportioned. You know, we've got 200 breeds of dog, over 200 that are recognized by the Kennel Club. And I think if I made a list off the top of my head of ones that I wouldn't ever want someone to buy, it would probably be around 30. So that still means that people have got 150 plus breeds that they can choose from without wanting something super quirky. What kind of questions can an owner ask a breeder when they go to look at a litter? If they don't, for example, have access to the the puppy pack or the puppy contract, what, I don't know, top five questions should they be asking a breeder before they even think about buying a dog? So firstly, the most important things might not be the questions. So what they want to do it's now illegal in England and some it's difficult because the laws vary between the, the countries. But it should be virtually illegal for anyone who isn't the breeder to sell a puppy. So if you're meeting, don't meet someone on the motorway for sure who's saying, oh, I'll make it easy for you. You have to see the dog, the puppy with its mother, preferably see the father as well. But you have to see it with its mother and you need to know where it's been raised because If the puppy has been raised in a cage in the garden and you want it, you've got small children in the house and you want it to have grown up and and be habituated, the first few weeks of that puppy's life are so important for how it's going to be equipped to cope with life with humans. So you want to make sure, and there, there are some really unscrupulous breeders now who have these front houses where they pretend that the dogs have been brought up there and they pretend that the dog that you're seeing is the mother. So even to the point of things like double check that her 
mammary glands are in you know are enlarged as if she's been feeding puppies make sure you see that some of the siblings that's mega important because you want to know what sort of start the dogs had and that's one way that you can avoid things like puppy farms where that will be poor the other thing is to find out what health tests are important for the breed that you want so the classics would be labradors have been top of the popularity until french bulldogs took over for years but still loads of people buy Labradors without having their parents or knowing whether the parents have been hip tested and elbow tested. So it's really important to find out what diseases are are relevant in that breed. And there's quite a lot of places people can find that out and ask the questions. Don't accept if someone says, oh no, well, you know, the mum's got a hip score that is unacceptable, but it's because she had a, you know, she had a fall when she was little there are lots of people that will pass stuff off. So you want to make sure that you've got certified proof that those health tests have been done and make sure you're given the the um, the proof that it has been. So things like that, I think, are important. But it's basically seeing where they've been brought up and ask about health tests are, are the, the fundamental things. And I assume that if there is a choice in the matter, then rehoming, adopting would be your preference. It's my preference. My dog is an absolute mongrel. He's called Soot. He's a mix of about 20 million things. Um, and I rescued him from a cardboard box. Um, would you prioritize rehoming and adopting where possible? Yeah, completely and absolutely. I think it's crazy that we have adoption centers that are full of beautiful dogs and people are paying thousands. I mean, this is the other thing with the bracky, the popular brackies, you know, some of them are selling for up to £10,000 for a puppy. And then they're spending a fortune and losing these dogs early. We know these dogs have a shorter lifespan. To my mind, I had my dogs for 15 years, survey of one, I know it's anecdotal, but they had a great life and I had the maximum time with them. So I think I'd definitely go for adoption the other thing to say with that is that there's a real craze at the moment for adopting dogs from abroad. You know, a lot of the well-known adoption centers will have great behavioral advice. They'll be able to match dogs to you. The one thing I would always say to people is even if you think you're absolutely dead set on having a certain breed, just why not have a wander around the center? We had some clients when I lived in England who had gone to they, they were absolutely certain. They went to an adoption center and they were absolutely certain that they wanted a certain type of dog. And they came home with the exact opposite because they fell in love with it. And I think that's the one thing I'd say. There's no obligation. If you walk into an adoption center, they're not going to force you to come out with something. But you might walk around and just find that there's this great match there. So I just... I don't know. It's nice looking at dogs, isn't it? It's Take a few hours and just go and have a look around. I love that. Just go into an adoption center and fall in love. I'm going to ask one more thing before we finish. What do you think is the answer here then? What needs to happen to solve this kind of problem of pets being bred for the way that they look rather than thinking about their health? Is there a solution? The veterinary profession has known about, well, and the wider community have known about the problems with brachycephalic animals for a hundred years already. When you look back over the sort of historical stuff, the first veterinary paper on on the health problems with brachycephalics is 
is a hundred years ago, which is, from my point of view, soul destroying. That we've been saying the same thing, and actually their confirmation has got worse. They're, they've become more and more extreme in that time. So I have been, as I say, campaigning on it for probably twenty five years now, and I feel that very little has changed. So I'd love to say that it, it is going to get better, but I think. I don't know what the answer is. And I do a lot of presentations and a lot of conferences about this. And people say to me, well, what is the answer? And I don't know. Is it law? Should we ban them? Is that going to, the Kennel Club would just say, well, that's going to drive it underground. Personally, there are lots of countries that are banning it. And that would be my preference because people clearly are still making wrong decisions. Breeders are still breeding animals that are frankly guaranteed to suffer. So unless we legally start prosecuting those breeders, which we could under our 2018 animal welfare laws, there should be breeders being prosecuted for breeding those animals, but the laws aren't being enforced. So I think, I hope the tide is changing. I want people to think about the fact it's not just about BOAS, the breeding problems. It's all the other health problems those animals are facing. It's not just the brachycephalics. You know, let's try and make a change to all extreme breeding and start prioritizing health. So I'm not going to hold my breath that things will change in 20 years, but maybe little by little, if we can get the message out there, maybe in 30 years, people will look back and say, well, I, I can't believe they let that happen. This has been The Pet Perspective by Napo Pet Insurance. You can find more things that your pet would want you to know at napo.pet.